Welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. A software supply chain is kind of like a car crash where you're a passenger. Someone else is driving this and you can't really do anything about it. But there are things you can do yeah. to help it. So you can't entirely stop it. You can't stop the car from crashing if you're not in a driver's seat. But you can get the early warning signs to be able to get out the car if you think something's going to happen. Hi, I'm Darian Kinlan, VP of Technology at Fletch. And with me this week is Chris Wilder, Research Director at Tag Cyber. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, Darian, man, it's always good to be back. I'm super excited to hear what McKenzie has to say because this is really, really important stuff. Yeah, so this week we're joined by a special guest, Mackenzie Jackson. Welcome. Mackenzie has many years of experience working in the tech industry and currently works as a developer advocate for GitGuardian, a French cybersecurity startup tackling source code issues that plague countless businesses. Mackenzie's work is focused on research around application security and code security. Welcome to the show, Mackenzie. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's great, great to be here and great to be with both of you two to talk about security. In a bit, we'll be talking with Mackenzie about those issues. But first, let's run through this week's set of interesting threats. Oh my gosh. It feels like, uh, what, yesterday was Groundhog Day, but yeah. does it still feel like Groundhog Day, Chris? What do you, what do you think? Well, I did not see my shadow, but I, I heard that the Groundhog did. So I guess we're six more weeks of cybersecurity hell. <laughs> okay. All right. You've, you've heard it here first. Awesome. Yes. So we have a number of existing supply chain security issues, a bunch of bizarre, weird vulnerabilities, and even new malware that's been found against common infrastructure. Crazy. Let's get into it. So first on our list is actually a brand new set of malicious open source libraries were found hosted on JavaScript's NPM and Python's package manager index. I think Checkpoint uh, researchers discovered that there's, again, uh, typo squatting where this unsuspecting developer would install this these libraries from open source repositories and then inadvertently compromise their entire supply chain, right? You know, we saw a version of this last week, right, with a different set of malicious libraries, and now we're seeing it again this week. You think this is like the start of a new trend from your perspective, Chris? I do. It's so interesting thing is that a lot of the XDR guys, specifically Sentinel One, have started getting hit with this. And our enterprise clients right now are they're trying to sort through this and they're kind of at the stage of, well, we don't actually know what it is. We don't know how to defend against it. We talking to McKenzie, you know, everybody's using using open source now. So you can't really write code anymore without using open source. And so what we're seeing is there's so much uh, interest in this that hackers are like, you know, they, they see the activity. So they're coming to coming to the noise. So no, I, I think it's very consistent from a typo perspective. I, you know, I think it goes also beyond, I think there's a lot of, a lot of activity on the phishing side of this as well. So I think it's just a matter of people being more diligent and paying attention. This is, this is an easy one to easy one to get around for, for bad actors. This is always seems to be the the case is that no matter what we do is these types of malicious packages always seem to to pop up. Before everyone was spending a lot of time trying to take over these packages, you know, we the the UA parser example springs to mind where an attacker was able to take over one of these accounts, turn it malicious. So the typo squatting. I mean, it's something that we're just not 
we don't seem to be getting on top of. It's something that just right. every every month, every couple of weeks, we 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 have new ones. And I mean, it's a difficult one because it's an easy one to get around, yeah. it's an easy one to defend against. But it's the the mass of it. It's going to get people. It obviously works, right? I mean, it, it clearly works. Yeah, I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better as people start becoming more aware of these types of supply chain attacks from the looks of it. When we see that this type of vector is now common, we're starting to see even attacks against tooling, right? So last week, I think there was a source code audit against the Git clients themselves where they found a bunch of bugs. It turns out that GitHub itself was being targeted and effectively breached back in December where attackers were trying to go after the tooling specifically for supply chain attacks. In this particular case, two of their most popular desktop apps, GitHub Desktop and GitHub Atom, the source code for those is not public. It was stolen by an attacker, including code signing certs. And you can imagine... Now, why would an attacker go through that effort? Well, if they could build their own version of these two different apps, they could eventually host laced, you know, malware-infected version of, of these online, get other developers to inadvertently download and install them, and suddenly the supply chain is compromised that way. So the good news is for this particular issue, they've, they've since resolved the issue, they've revoked those certs, it's more of an inconvenience for your devs because now they have to go in and update their software and install it because the old versions are not going to work anymore as a result of this. But it certainly presents a very troubling trend, which is, you know, every single one of these vectors is going after the supply chain, right? In one form or another. Yeah. I mean, mighty rubber bank because that's where the money is. And <laughs> <laughs> so that's, it, it's so true. And, and I think we're, the, the amount of sophistication that's that's in, increasing is is astonishing to to watch. But again, you know, I, and I think I say this every time on the show: this supply chain attacks are the number one challenge large enterprise and DevOps organizations have in terms of our business. We we're probably fielding fifteen to twenty end user large enterprise CISOs asking us very specifically about. How do I, number one, gain more visibility into my supply chain? How do I control what my DevOps teams are doing? Because you typically, the reason why DevOps does not bring security into this in the front part is because they it's all speed to market, speed, 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 which is well, we're going back to the last CVE, you know, you just stupid mistakes. And where they don't want to bring the deliberation of the security guys coming into this thing, you can't do that. So there's a disconnect, and I think there's a lot of bad actors that have have identified that, and they're just going after the tools, and then they're going after the code, which Mackenzie knows a lot about, a lot more about that than I ever will. And it's 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 a perfect storm coming together, and it's where the money is. So source code is really like this is a trend. We really saw it ramp up last year, where attackers are targeting source code. So just off the top of my head, you've got Samsung, NVIDIA, Microsoft, Twitch, Rockstar Games. All of these companies had their source code stolen last year. And all of them kind of had secrets and various other things. Here, if if I'm reading this correctly, it sounds like GitHub had signing certs in their source code or the attackers got them uh, another way. Terrible idea if, if that's true. But, you know, like this is this is what we're up against. Attackers are targeting source code because it's easy 
and they know these secrets in there. I mean, if you're robbing a bank, are you going to try and target the 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 vault or the money of the tills if the outcome's the same, right? There's a thousand bucks in the vault, there's a thousand bucks in the tills. Which one's easy to come to? This is what they're the dilemma they're facing with with source code. If they can find everything they need in the source code, why why try and target the the stuff that's hard if we can exfiltrate secrets from the source code? So uh, this is a really concerning trend that we're seeing. Yeah, even GitHub apparently isn't uh, uh, immune to having a <laughs> secrets in their in in their source code exactly things have gotten more complicated unfortunately so moving on to some of the other threats or that we found interesting this week a whole batch of what lexmark printers were vulnerable like remote code execution vulnerabilities within internet connected printers Are, are we back in 2015 2010 this is 2023 how is this possible chris Bad network network architect architecting is is typically the number one reason for this. But when I was when I was doing a lot of red team assessments, we would we would go in on the physical side as well as on the cybersecurity side and, and red team a lot of big companies um, and organizations. And as the nerd in the group, first place that I would go is straight to the printers because I always knew that I could get it's, it's a, they would uns, the ports were typically unsecure, and so you could almost get root access and almost almost every building into into these systems. But printers are the easiest attack vector into the entire organization, number one, because they may or may not even have firmware on it, which is kind of part where the Lexmark challenge is. They've got they've got that challenge, but they also obviously this one too. Printers are, you know, everybody has a printer and right. it's an easy way to get into get into the organization and get the keys to the kingdom. And I'm I'm just amazed that the industry itself hasn't stepped up. Because I think they're just still trying to sell printers because nobody uses the damn things anymore. Right. <laughs> but uh, I, I did, I, I did ironically talk to one of Lexmark's biggest competitors, um, a good friend of mine, president of one of the biggest biggest printer companies in the world, and he said, he said we actually love this because we believe that we're the only secure printer in the world. And I keep saying, well, no, these guys say that. That and so, but it's they use it as a competitive advantage over over Lexmark and other other folks just because of the security piece of it. Right. So I don't I don't know when this industry is ever going to wake up and start you know realizing that cybersecurity is 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 a true issue. But certainly the bad actors and you know they they know it and. You know, it's just time for these guys to wake up and start acting, you know, with, with some dedication and uh, interest in, in the cyber side. Right. And who updates printers these days, right? It's like if it's an interconnect, internet connected device, you would expect some sort of auto update capability, right? If you can't do yeah. that, you really can't expect users to be going around and updating this stuff. It's just, it's not possible. Usually the printer admin is going to be your receptionist, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> with IoT, I, it's yeah. opening up a whole nother can of worms with all these devices that are connected to the internet that are essentially, you know, are a gateway into your network yeah. that right. just don't have security measures. There's a, there's a story, maybe you'll need to remove this in post, but one of the funniest stories I ever heard was from a friend of mine who uh, had to investigate how the Navy of a certain countries had their internal networks. Uh, all accessed. And uh, long story short, there was some um, internet connected, they say adult devices that uh, the Navy were were using that was the initial access point uh, 
uh, of 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 the attackers, right? So they were able yeah. to uh, enter the network via these internet connected adult wow. devices that the uh, that the 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 folks at the navy were were obviously using. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's internet connected, it can be exploited. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I went to Amazon and typed in internet connected adult devices. It didn't give me any. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you I'll can use your imagination, much. Chris. Yeah. I'll send you some links for some secure ones. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Fair it enough. could be a selling point. The world's most secure. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So moving on, we actually had some major vulnerability patched by Microsoft back in August. But at the time that they patched this Windows-based vulnerability, they didn't talk about anything about it. In fact, it was left as not even mentioned within the release notes. Now, months later, researchers uncovered the extent of what the vulnerability was. And it turns out there was a fundamental problem with how Windows systems were talking to the secure web, which NSA reported and, and discovered. And ultimately shared the details with Microsoft. It's pretty bad. With this vulnerability, any Windows device on the internet could potentially be man in the middle, or an attacker could present itself as the trusted web service or web app. And unbeknownst to the user, they could you know, think that they're connecting with this particular service in a trusted way, but in fact, the attacker can man in the middle all the traffic and potentially gather and decrypt that information. This was a pretty severe vulnerability. Hopefully, if you have Windows devices, they've been fixed by now, given that it's now months later. But in case you haven't, there is a silver lining here. The crypto API, as bad as it is, and it's used by every Windows app out there, even non-Microsoft specific apps. For example, they found this vulnerability within Google Chrome running on top of Microsoft Windows, because again, it's using the crypto APIs. But if you don't have the patch enabled, if your app doesn't use what's called end certificate caching, which is like performance feature, then it won't necessarily be susceptible to man in the middle. However, if your app does use this performance feature, then yes, it is impacted by it. Rather than trying to figure this out on an app by app basis, just go and apply the patch. But this is kind of a serious eye-opening thing. We were not expecting a fundamental breach within the trust of, of web infrastructure at this level. I'm curious your thoughts here, Chris. Yeah, I, 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 every time I look at these things, I get more astonished how more sophisticated these these attacks are and these these vulnerabilities get. And you said there there is a patch for this, right? Yes, there is a patch. It's been around yeah. since about August timeframe. Yeah. I mean, our advice to enterprise we're advocating now where people have patch policies, they have to have it. And the challenge is like with this one, it's specifically it's number one, I think you need to do inventory and you need to also have a policy where you're out, uh, automatically patching or, you're, or, or you, you just make it a mandated that they, that you have to have a practice in place. And I just, like I said, I'm, I still get more astonished on these, on the, the sophistication of this one. But uh, again, it can, it's easily easy to uh, easy to avoid as long as the vendors are keeping up with the patches, and and then the companies that are using the products are, are patching and patching and patching. And you know, yep. Not, I've, I've I've said Tanium many many times on this show, uh, but you know, Tanium is a good place to start. 
Exactly. Over on the cloud service side, there's been a new type of malware reported by Aquasec security researchers targeting insecure Redis clusters, right? So Redis was a popular caching, open source caching platform used to accelerate web services built by companies. Most of the time, best security practices mean that you're not exposing Redis servers to the internet directly, but rather protected behind a VPC or a firewall. In this case, they found thousands of Redis servers unsecured. And as a result, this particular threat group was deploying cryptocurrency miners on compromised Redis servers. And while this is not necessarily a new thing, what is unique about this particular campaign is that it was all fileless, meaning the malware loads in memory, it runs, but it never touches the disk. So if you're doing any sort of disk scanning for any sort of malware present on you know, file systems, it doesn't exist. And theoretically, that means you can just reboot the Redis servers and the malware disappears, but Again, if it's unprotected, chances are the attackers will go back in and recompromise and reload the malware as well. So at the end of the day, you're left with a very large bill for compute costs, exorbitant yeah. compared to normal operations. You can switch out Redis with IoT. Um, <laughs> it's you know the, the the crypto mining side of it's just getting really, really almost ridiculous. And so I don't have a lot to say about this one other than you know mine the gap. Right. And most of this infrastructure probably is deployed as code. I'm curious, Mackenzie, like, is really the, the best practice here to just not have internal components exposed to the internet and properly protecting against that for, for these sorts of issues? Definitely, that should be part of their, the defense is, is that things that shouldn't be public, just don't make them public. And, you know, forever we've been seeing configuration errors of API endpoints. Australia had a huge one with Optus, with you know S3 buckets and other areas. So when, right. when you have a, any kind of servers, there was a study by CyberNews that found, you know, Git repositories that were exposed. I, everything, you know, like these these things seem to be open. And, but like fundamentally, I, I don't think the problem is like, should we close them all? Because I feel like people think they are closed. I think it's more the fact that do we actually even know what our infrastructure looks like? Do we know the extent of it? Can we map it correctly? Do we know what's out there? And in this case, it seems like, you know, like it's just, we we just don't know the extent of what what our exposure is in organizations. And that's just kind of the state of the world, it seems. Exactly. So that kind of wraps up our, our threats for the week. If you want to dive deeper into this week's trending threats, be sure to check out the interactive Fletch newsletter and Trending Threats app to see all the stories we talked about and more. Now, on to our special guest interview. Let's have a further conversation with Mackenzie as, as well. So in terms of you know supply chain security, it seems to be a recurring theme. It's, it's all over the place. It doesn't seem to be going away. I'm curious, Mackenzie, from your perspective, you know, if you're a small, medium-sized business and you're looking to try to build secure code or build code securely, how would you accomplish that? Like, what, is, what are some practical things that you think make sense for organizations? Yeah, we, we all have to be aware of the supply chain issues. There's some great initiatives that are happening, like 
you know, you have the the SBOM, the software bill of materials, the White House included in their in the release of requirements. And you also have some good frameworks around it. Salsa is one from Google, and you have some some other ones. OWASP has some as well. So we're starting to kind of get an idea about it, but these are helping us understand the problem and not really dive in to solve them. So if you're a small or medium business, you don't have dedicated teams to security, what can you do? So the first thing is you need to start understanding your composition. So using SCA tools, software composition analysis tools, which scan through the dependencies because I think what people also don't understand is that you can have dependencies multiple layers deep. And if one of those gets turned malicious, then it can turn your application malicious. An example being, there was a package called Event Stream. I'm going to give the very shortened version of this. This was very popular. Millions and millions of applications required Event Stream. Event Stream had a dependency called FlatMap. And FlatMap was turned malicious, which turned Event Stream malicious, which turned your application malicious. You can't understand your composition without tools. It's impossible. You can't kind of get a spreadsheet and go, okay, what is our dependencies? Because it would just, you. I don't think you could physically do it. So practical steps, understand your software composition, because that's going to help you find things that are vulnerable when they're vulnerable and weed them out. The other step that I'll take is that a software supply chain is kind of like a car crash where you're a passenger. Someone else is driving this and you can't really do anything about it. But there are things you can do to help it. So you can't entirely stop it. You can't stop the car from crashing if you're not in the driver's seat. But you can get the early warning signs to be able to get out the car if you think something's going to happen. And one great way of doing that is through uh, honeypots. So a simple example would be like honey tokens. So what's an attacker going to try and do in a supply chain attack? They're going to try and use something that they have turned malicious to get into your infrastructure. Right. If you sprinkle in your infrastructure something that's really juicy for an attacker, for instance, an AWS key, make it look legit. But what this key actually does is just alert you that someone's used it. So there's lots of ways to create these. You know, There's an open source tool called GG Canary where you can create 5,000 of these. <laughs> for free uh, using your own infrastructure, Thing, things like that. And there's also other types of honeypots that will let you know when someone accesses a network, even ones that will let you know when someone opens up a Word document or you know different, different things. Right. And so what this is, is that you can't 100% guarantee that you're not going to be a victim in a supply chain. No one can, right? But what you can do is make sure that you're alerted when any anytime anyone's in your system and put up these defenses, that would, that would be kind of practical advice that I'd say that that you can do that doesn't cost money, that doesn't cost huge investments in large teams. Anyone that understands technology can implement these solutions. Makes sense. I mean, setting up modern day tripwire across your source code repos makes a lot of sense for a variety of reasons. And yeah, it, it's something that. It's probably pretty cheap and easy to monitor from that standpoint. I'm curious why organizations haven't really, is it just because it's such a new technology that most people just aren't even aware of this? Is that why it's not really popular yet from your perspective? You know, I struggle with this as, as well. There's, there's a lot of things, I think almost because it's easy, it kind of gets overlooked. So you have yeah, these sure. really crazy expensive tools that do amazing. And I work for a vendor that, that sells, you know, complicated, sophisticated tooling. 
But we don't always need to start there. And they're important, but they're not the only things that you can do. There's lots of other stuff. So I, you know, I think part of it is just that some of this is a bit too simple. Or there's a reliance on vendors. You know, one thing that I always say is that you know vendors are going to promise you they can solve all your problems, but they can't. They, right. they just they just simply can't. You can't throw money at security. It will help for a little bit, but you can't just keep throwing money at it and hope that it works. You have to be proactive. And part of that is going to mean some great security tools. And part of that's going to mean, hey, like we can add these other steps into, and you know, and things like canary tokens. These take an hour to set up for someone. So there's a little bit of investment, an hour to two hours if you're really kind of figuring it out. And then that's right. it, right? The next time you hear from them is when someone's in your systems. It's not like you right. have to maintain it. Sometimes I think the solutions are just too simple for, for people to think about, or they're not understanding the coverage that their tools that they think they're covered on certain things. Not not entirely sure. But I mean that, yeah. That's a, that's a great, you know, great way to do it. And yeah, there's open source tools that can that do it. And I'm sure there's enterprise versions out there as well. Sure. Well, yeah. what's interesting yeah. about us is you can actually use these mechanisms to justify investing more in security defenses around this as well, because now you have practical evidence of yeah, they're they're actually in. They triggered these particular canary tokens. We know that we need better defenses, better monitoring around this, right? Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And talking to the sales team for the company that I work for, GitGuardian, I was discussing with them in presentation and I was doing a workshop on, on how to use basically an open source version of what we do. And then I kind of was like, doesn't it bother you that, 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 I'm, that I'm kind of doing this? They're like, no, because the best customers that we have are the ones that are coming to us after they've used the open source software because they've already validated the problem. Yep. You know, like, and there's a there's a there's a gap that we can fill that that software can't do. So 100% agree with that. And if you're small or you don't have budget, it's going to give you some protection. 100% use the tools that we have. Exactly. So where do you where do you see the biggest vulnerabilities coming in? I know we talk a lot about attackers coming into the organization, but in terms of developers and pushing out and putting secrets into into the wild on the repositories. Where do, you, where do you see a lot of the number one vulnerabilities happening? Is it in cloud infrastructure? Is it in the tools? Or is it, you know, we talked about Slack a couple of times last week. I mean, what are, what are some mm. of the things that you're seeing there? It's really interesting to know what, what are, you know, what are like the number one threats that the organizations are facing. And I, and I think like, you know, one of the, the biggest areas is definitely leaked secrets, leaked credentials. Why? Oh, because yeah. every single attack uses these almost at some point. There's a bit of a broader statement that I should have made. Most attacks kind of use credentials at some point. Maybe they're not the initial access point. Maybe they're found on a server after they've gained unlawful entry and they've used them to elevate their privileges. Hey, maybe they've found them. So, so these things. And when you're talking about kind of, if we break that down further, what are the most scary secrets, you know, that are, that are leaked? There's a couple. So GitGuardian, we scan open source GitHub repositories. So if you have if you have a, a public Git repository on GitHub, we've scanned every commit that you have made to try and find sensitive information. So it's about a billion commits a year we scan. So in 2021, we found 6 million of these credentials in public repositories. <laughs> So just sitting there in public. So there's huge amounts of the sensitive information that, that attackers can use. So it's not like they even have to try very hard. 
And I said here that we've scanned every single one of your commits that you've made on public GitHub. A couple of people may have a reflex on that and go, oh, that feels like an invasion of my code. Well, hey, I can tell you 100%, we're not the only ones that are doing it because the bad guys are doing it too. So GitHub has an API that anyone can monitor. Lots and lots of people do. We monitor it to try and find stuff and alert you if, if, if it's there. Attackers monitor it to exploit it. So one of the things is, okay, what keys, you know, 15% of the keys that we found, that 6 million, 15% of them were cloud provider keys. This is wow. terrifying. Why? Because if you leak a signing certificate, right? What happened with GitHub? As an attacker, I can find it, but I have to figure out how to use it. It's going to take me a couple of days if I'm really good. Sure. And then I have to build up an exploit. It's going to take me further time. If you leak a cloud provider key, I can have an automatic box that validates that that's, that that's valid. If it comes back valid, I can then set off a number of automated steps that try and grant and persist and elevate my privileges systematically. So then I'm going to try and find out what do I have access to? Can I create accounts? Oh, if I can create accounts, then we're going to create an account for me so that you don't know about it, so that you're not seeing this weird use of, of an account. You know, like all these things that you can do, all of this can be automated. So then you put it, you plug it into the scale of GitHub. And we're, you know, we're finding millions of these cloud provider keys that are valid, right? Because we validate them just like the attackers do. And then you can you can elevate. So not all keys are created equal. And there's things like the cloud provider keys, which can be exploited so quickly, all automated. That's really scary. And, and, and lots of other things too. And, and even keys that you don't even think are really that scary. So one of the keys that we find huge amounts of is Slack webhook tokens and oh, everyone kind yeah. of goes well what what what's the point of the slack webhook token well we find so many of these because it seems to be something that people like to work on in their private time so it's personal repositories but it's probably connected to their work account so they've mm -hmm. created a slack bot that notifies them when they've got an important email or, or whatever it does it does now as an attacker i have access into your organization to post a message so now the phishing campaign that I'm sending isn't coming from the Nigerian prince. It's right. coming from inside your organization. <laughs> so you're going to trust it a whole lot more. So, I mean, definitely the number one kind of threat, I think, is the, these credentials and, and the way that they're leaking everywhere. Because if you didn't have any credentials, it would be able to stop so many of these attacks, even if something else was turned malicious. And then if we go deeper into that, you, what type of secrets are, are most scary? Well, Anything that I can automatically kind of check you that and run through these steps, my time to exploitation has literally gone uh, from days, weeks into minutes and hours, right? It's hack ops. It's going down the latest, the, the latest trend. We're, develop, we're, we're building up all these DevSecOps and DevOps trends and Agile. Well, the hackers are doing it too. And it's funny, there's there's no layoffs in the hacking community. <laughs> there's job security there so that's that's interesting so from your perspective from a devops running somebody running devops i mean what are what are the things i need to do obviously we talked about inventory we, we mm -hmm. talked about managing your external attack surface those types of things but what if i if i'm an enterprise CISO, what what advice do you have for me to to kind of align my my security team with with the devops team especially since we're 
relying and, and I, I will I will go on on the ledge saying we are relying on open source and we're, yeah. we're relying on the, on the on the open source repositories too because one of my developers once told me he said I can't write a piece of code that probably didn't infringe on somebody else's code so what what, what kind of advice would you give CISOs? Well, I, you know, I think the advice changes depending on where you are in your journey. If, if you're a CISO and you're and you've come into an organization, it's your first day, and you're gung ho, then you've got an uphill battle because you're going to have to change a lot of culture and yeah. really disrupt the workflow a little bit. So, my advice to someone starting out in this journey is like, let's start with one thing that's going to give us good results quickly that isn't going to disrupt a whole, a whole bunch. So I would take credential scanning. Let's, let's start with finding secrets in our infrastructure and in our source code. They're going to be there. The most mature organizations in the world have secrets in their source code. Well, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that Samsung had their source code you know, involuntary open source, let's say, stolen and then published. We scanned it and we found 6,000 secrets in that this is this is Samsung. This is a great company. It's six thousand secrets, including one hundred and ninety four AWS tokens in their source code, and that's not to shame Samsung. This is this is they're actually pretty good. So right. let's start there. Let's start because if we can get rid of those credentials, then we're getting rid of an e an easy target for attackers because they're going to target developers. They're going to target people with access to your repositories, your infrastructure. So if we can clean up those areas first, that's something we can do that doesn't disrupt too much. You get a very high level of true positives versus false positives when comparing to something, right? Especially and in, in when we can validate credentials and things. So start there. Then start maybe creating some, some honey tokens so that you know who's in your infrastructure if someone's there. Then I'd expand out into understanding your software composition so un building in some SCA tools. So that relates back to some of the vulnerabilities that we talked about earlier. Understanding when a package has been turned malicious, understanding what your true attack surface is. And on all of these tools that I've mentioned, they have commercial versions, but all of them can be free and open source if you're just starting out, right? If you're in a big team, it's not going to probably work. But if you're starting out, then that's going to be great. And then the last step is infrastructure as a code scanning. You know, IAC, we talked about misconfigurations of, of lots of things, the Redis servers, mm -hmm. uh, API endpoints, you know, Git repositories that are public that shouldn't be. If we start scanning our infrastructure, if we're doing infrastructure of a code and we start scanning that to make sure that the infrastructure we're building is secure, then that's another step. I, and I'll, I'll stop there. I mean, we could keep going forever. Yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. four things that you can, you can really do immediately that will yeah. get some results. Over time, don't do them all on the first day because you'll get alarm fatigue in an hour. But that's a start, right? That's where we can start. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Mackenzie, for kind of tying it all together. It's very refreshing how we're able to connect the dots here and see how all these issues are really kind of interrelated and ultimately force us to think about this with a bigger picture in mind. Wonderful. Well, I think that's all the time we have for, for today's Threat Show. Thank you so much, Mackenzie, for your time. Thank you, Chris. And look out for next week when we cover the next round of threats. Great to see you Thanks, all. guys. Thanks. It was lots of, lots of fun. See ya. Thank you for tuning into The Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube 
give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats.